Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Dark Crossroads. Today we're covering the mysterious and compelling unsolved disappearance and death of Chuck Morgan. Um, this is a very controversial and also very mysterious case. Um, I have listened to it on many other podcasts, watched many videos about it. It is very... Um, speculative. A lot of theories out there, but I'm going to try to just stick with the facts um, and basically list out all the theories and have just an open mind. To all of this, um, it was very interesting to research and I hope that you guys enjoy it. I'm hoping to do more like this. And really quick before I jump right in, I just wanted to plug in some of my sources that I have used. When I do episodes, I use a lot of sources, and if I listed them all, I would probably be talking for about 10 minutes. But my top ones are Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, Unsolved.com, and a little bit of BuzzFeed covered this case too, so I took a little bit from there. But if you want to watch a whole thing on this, Unsolved Mysteries did do an episode of this case, and it will be referred into the episode, but it is very interesting to watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode. But with all of this said, um, let's just jump right in. Charles, also known as Chuck Morgan, was a 39-year-old escrow agent residing in Tucson, Arizona. He lived there with his wife, Ruth, and their four daughters. Although very little is known about his life prior to his disappearance, he did appear to live a very unassuming lifestyle. On the date of March 22, 1977, Chuck was going about his normal daily routine. He dropped his daughters off at school, and then he headed to work. His daughters, though, are reported as being the last ones to see him that day, so it's only assumed that he never made it to work. His absence was noted when he failed to return home at the end of the day, although again it is very unclear if he was officially reported missing to the police at this time. Three days later, on March 25th, Ruth was suddenly awoken at 2 a.m. by their dog barking. She got out of bed, opened the front door, to find Chuck standing there. Ruth described him as looking very disheveled with plastic handcuffs hanging from each wrist and an additional set hanging from his ankle. He was also missing one of his shoes. He wasn't speaking at all to her, just motioning to his throat. She obviously asked if he could speak, to which he shook his head. She asked if he could write anything, and he nodded. She grabbed a pen and some paper, and he wrote that his throat had been painted with a hallucinogenic drug which could drive him insane, destroy his nervous system, and possibly kill him. Chuck told Ruth that he had been held near Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, where he had been tortured. Ruth wanted to call the police and get medical help right away, but Chuck refused, saying that they would be putting the family in immediate danger. Ruth ultimately agreed and nursed Chuck back to health herself. He communicated with her via notes and began to hint that he had a secret identity as an agent for the federal government. In one note, he wrote, They took my treasury identification and stated that he had been working for them for around two to three years. Ruth stated this was the first time that she'd heard any mention of the Treasury Department or Chuck working for them. As Chuck regained his voice, he became increasingly paranoid. 
He began wearing a bulletproof vest and carried a gun at all times. He refused to let his daughters go outside alone and ensure that they were driven to and picked up from school each day by him. Chuck told his father that should anything happen to him, he would leave behind a letter explaining everything, including who would be responsible. Two months later, on June 7, 1977, Chuck would go missing again. On the morning of his disappearance, Ruth took the children to school while Chuck headed to work. They were continuing this whole schedule until this day arrived. In the late afternoon, Chuck called his office from a downtown payphone indicating that he would be arriving in about 30 minutes. However, he never showed up. Chuck was ultimately reported missing. Nine days later, on June 14th, Ruth received a phone call from an unidentified woman who only referred to herself as Green Eyes. The woman asked for Ruthie, and when Ruth responded affirmatively, the woman said, Chuck is all right, Ecclesiastics 12, 1 through 8. After saying this, the woman hung up the phone. This refers to a Bible passage, which is quoted as being, Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Two days following this phone call, on June 18th, Chuck's body was discovered on a dirt road 40 miles west of Tucson. Chuck had been shot in the back of the head and was found lying on the ground next to his Mercury Cougar, with his gun located next to him. Items found on and around Chuck's body were found to be unusual. He was still wearing his bulletproof vest that he had on, insisted on using since his first disappearance. He was also wearing his holster along with a belt, which had a concealed knife in the buckle. And there was a $2 bill with a map drawn on the back of it that was pinned to his underwear. The front of the $2 bill contained seven Spanish surnames with the words Ecclesiastes 12 written above. Arrows pointed to the numbers 1 and 8 within the bill's serial code. The map led to the town's Robles Junction in Salas City, I'm saying this wrong, I'm sorry, an area between Tucson and Mexico. In Chuck's vehicle, a pair of sunglasses were located, and these were identified as not belonging to him. Also inside of the vehicle were several weapons, ammunition, and handcuffs. Also inside the vehicle was a note containing handwritten directions to the site where Chuck's body was found. The handwriting was later confirmed to be his own handwriting. On the rear of the back seat of the vehicle, a folded white handkerchief was also found. When unwrapped, it was discovered to contain one of Chuck's teeth. It was quickly determined that Chuck had been shot in the back of the head at close range with his own 357 caliber magnum. The gun was completely free of any fingerprints, as was the rest of the scene. The medical examination concluded that Chuck had only been dead for approximately 12 hours before being found. This obviously led to the question of where he had been between going missing on June 7th and his body being recovered on June 16th. Gunpowder residue was found on Chuck's hand. This discovery, along with the shot being fired from his own weapon, led investigators to conclude that Chuck died from a self-inflicted gunshot and his death was ruled a suicide. I 
personally find this incredibly unbelievable because he was shot in the back of the head. If you're going to shoot yourself in the head trying to commit suicide, I don't think you would point a gun to the back of your head. It almost seems impossible, but we will continue. Along with me, his wife, Ruth, and journalist Don Devereux doubted this ruling that it was a suicide, with Don stating, I have never seen in all of my years as a journalist a fellow take himself out in the desert wearing a bulletproof vest and shoot himself in the back of the head. I agree, sir. Thank you very much. Two days following Chuck's discovery, a woman called the Pima County Sheriff's Department. She called herself Green Eyes and confirmed that she was the same person that had called Ruth a few days prior. Green Eyes said that Chuck had come to meet her at a local motel shortly before he died. He had showed her a briefcase containing thousands of dollars in cash and told her that the money would buy him out of a contract the mob had put on him. Chuck disclosed that there was a $90,000 contract on his life, which was increasing by $5,000 every single day. Police were able to corroborate some of Green Eye's story, finding CCTV that showed Chuck meeting an unidentified woman. It was determined that Chuck had registered at a Southside hotel and met this woman several times. The possibility of an extramarital affair was floated around. However, Ruth adamantly denied this, stating that Chuck was extremely loyal to her. It is not clear if Green Eyes was ever identified, but if so, her name has never been released publicly. Despite this further information from Green Eyes, the case was eventually closed on the 10th of August in 1977 with the official ruling of suicide. Prima County Sheriff's Department officials stated, we have found no evidence that anyone took part in the death but himself. At the time of Chuck's death, Arizona was the only state that allowed blind trust ownership of real estate. This meant that individuals could buy property anonymously with only an escrow agent, such as Chuck, knowing their identity. This obviously put Chuck at risk because he was the only one that would know of any shady business or anybody wanting to secretly buy a house for any bad behavior, and he would be the only one knowing of it. At the time of his death, Chuck was known to be doing escrow work for two alleged organized crime groups, the Ned Warren family and the Joe Bonanno family. In the 1970s, organized crime groups had established Arizona as a pipeline for narcotics and money laundering. The above blind ownership law allowed them to purchase land and properties in which they could launder money through, knowing that it couldn't be traced. Don Devereux had investigated Chuck's death following the case airing on Unsolved Mysteries. He learned that Chuck was involved in money laundering activities through his escrow company and was involved in large gold and platinum transactions, which was a more convenient way to launder money. He also discovered that Chuck kept duplicate records of these illicit transactions. Don stated, He was around the edges of a couple of very large organized crime groups in Arizona at this time. It was very easy to get in over your head, and I suspect that over the years, Mr. Morgan was in that kind of situation. 
He was doing perhaps upwards of a billion dollars of escrow work in bullion and platinum. These were transactions that likely only existed on paper. He was a straight businessman that probably got a little too close to the flame. Following his death, his attorney, Ronald Newman, did confirm that Chuck was a secret witness in an extensive land fraud investigation and had testified around the internal dealings at Banco International de Arizona. It is alleged that his testimony was recorded in May of 1977, around a month before his death. Two weeks following Chuck's death, two men claiming to be FBI officers turned up at the address of Ruth Morgan, claiming that they needed to search the property. Ruth stated that they had ransacked the house, appearing to be looking for something specific, but did not appear to find it. Don later sent an FOI request to the FBI in an attempt to identify these officers. However, the FBI claimed to have no knowledge of Chuck Morgan. Three months following the broadcast of the Unsolved Mysteries episode and after Don Devereux began investigating Chuck's death, a male by the name of Doug Johnston was found shot to death in his car outside of his Phoenix office. Doug was shot in the left side of his head and no gun was ever found. Doug worked and was found dead across the street from Don's office, and the two drove almost identical vehicles. Don strongly believes that Doug was killed in a case of mistaken identity and that he himself was the intended target. A year following Doug's death, Don was contacted by Danny Casalaro, a writer from D.C. Danny stated he had information to share with Don about Chuck's illegal gold transactions. However, before they could meet, Danny was found dead in a hotel bathtub with both of his wrists slashed, and his death was also ruled a suicide. There are several theories relating to Chuck's death, the main two being that either he did, in fact, take his own life after suffering mental health problems and delusions, or that he was, in fact, involved with the mafia and working for the government, and a hitman ultimately took him out. Don believes the later, stating, there is a great likelihood that Mr. Morgan was, in fact, doing something with the government. I think this was a guy who was extremely naive about a lot of things, and I think somebody blew his cover and he got killed. Chuck's wife and his daughters have never accepted that he took his own life, and Ruth continues to believe that he was murdered until her death in 2016. Almost 50 years have passed since Chuck's death, and despite its official ruling of suicide, it still remains as bizarre and mysterious as it was in 1977. It has been theorized that the $2 bill provided is the basis of some kind of code that people wanted to relay. What seemed to be missing, however, was the document that the $2 bill would unlock. If he was quietly providing assistance to the U.S. government and monitoring the activities of one or more major organized crime families, then he wasn't a villain. He was a good guy, and people should know this. And another thing that I found very interesting is that when Don made the Freedom of Information Act request to the FBI, they suddenly have never heard of him, never heard of Chuck Morgan, despite the fact that they had obviously opened an investigation on him and that they had interviewed his attorney and family. They were all over his case like crazy in the beginning and for a while, but all of a sudden they've never heard of the guy. He never existed. No file, no nothing. And Chuck's wife, Ruth, was later stating 
there is no way that Chuck would have committed suicide, and if he had even contemplated committing suicide, he would have left a letter for his girls and for me. One of Morgan's daughters later came out and stated, My father had a lot of information about a lot of people here in Tucson that could have been very detrimental. There was a lot of information about politicians and people who are still alive that work in our government today. He had that information, and they probably wanted to silence him. Over the next 40 to 50 years, investigations into Chuck's death would find connections to organized crime, hitmen, government covert operations, and allegations of fraud and drug smuggling. Whatever happened to Chuck Morgan, and how did the straight-laced businessman end up in a world of intrigue and undercover operations that ultimately led to his death? The answers are still unknown today, but I think the biggest thing to take away from this whole story is that he was a family man. He had a family that he loved dearly and wanted to protect with his life. He was trying his best every day to give them the best life that they could possibly have. He was just being a husband and a father, and I think to this day they are grateful for everything that he did. Although he might have ran with a little bit of the wrong crowd, he still was trying every single day for his friends and his family. And I think that for his family's sake, you should just remember him as a loving, caring father and husband. Whether any answers will ever come to his mysterious death is very doubtful and unknown, but it is important to remember him as the person that he was and the impact that he had on the people around him. Okay, guys, so thanks for hanging out again today. I hope you liked this episode. Um, if you want to hang out some more, check back in for our next episode coming out soon. And you can also follow us on Facebook, all over social media. And um, if you want more and more content, please, um, you can either help us out free by like, rate, review, subscribe, all the things, or you can subscribe to our, um, it's kind of like Patreon but it's called Dark Crossroads Plus through Buzzsprout. Um, there will be a link to that on any social media and whatever amount of money you donate, whether it be a dollar a month even, will all proceeds will go towards the podcast. But thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for everybody that has already followed us and continues to follow us and con- contribute to the podcast. It has been an unbelievable amount of love and support so far and I am beyond grateful for everybody and I cannot wait to keep putting out content and meeting everybody and growing this community. Thank you so much and don't forget to be weird, stay different, and don't trust anyone. Crossroads Podcast is brought to you by Problem Wildlife. Problem Wildlife serves Western Massachusetts and has been humanely protecting your house and family from unwanted pests for over 20 years. Take back your space with an animal control service that you can trust. They are family-owned, fully licensed, and are knowledgeable and dependable. 
To find out more about their services, simply visit their website at www.problemwildliferemoval.com. Again, that's www.problemwildliferemoval.com. And the website will also be included in our show notes. The Curiosity Box delivers the cerebral fascination of Vsauce right to your door through engaging science toys, surprising puzzles, and books that expand our understanding of the universe. The creators worked together to create, design, and handpick each illuminating item in the Curiosity Box, including constructive kits, brain games, and imaginative custom t-shirts. Every quarterly delivery will turn your home into a laboratory of wonder. If you have always been curious about the world around you, then subscribe to the Curiosity Box and have access to the most popular science education network on YouTube as it energizes a community of Earth's most inquisitive minds with videos spanning science, math, and the human experience. And now all of that passion is in a box pulled out the screen and put in your hands. You can also receive monthly courses spanning popular academic disciplines to inspire and nurture the next generation of curious thinkers, innovators, and inventors. They are delivering a deeper learning experience through AR, VR, and video lessons on the MEL app. Join the curious community on their journey to explore the world, celebrate the amazing, and support brains for the future of our pale blue dot and beyond.